Detweiler, and I invite you to come and join me as we take a pause in our busy day and pursue soul care, as we allow our bodies to slow down and our minds to be renewed with goodness, truth, and hope. This is PRN. Pause. Renew. Next. Hey friends, welcome back to our series on attachment. I've heard from a few of you that this has been a really helpful series so far, and I really appreciate that feedback. To be perfectly honest, it's been a good review for me as well, and I'm having to relearn and examine some things as I'm getting this information ready to be able to share it with you. If you missed the first few episodes, I hope you'll go back and check them out. But specifically, if you missed the episode about secure attachment, I think that might be a really helpful place to start before jumping into this episode as we begin to talk about the three insecure attachment styles. Now you'll hear me go back and forth between attachment patterns and attachment styles, and you'll hear people use both of those terms. I think styles is easier to say, so I end up saying that one a lot. But truly, patterns is probably more accurate because they are attachment patterns of how we seek and maintain closeness and connection. Those patterns in our attachment dance that we talked about a few weeks ago. Now, before we jump into insecure attachment on today's episode, I do just want to say that everything in relationships is not based on attachment theory. Remember that attachment theory is on a spectrum You know, people cannot easily be dropped into buckets. You know that, I know that. We're a little messier and more complicated than that. And they code this really on a spectrum of severity. So it's not just like it's easy to define who's in what category. So let's remember that. But also, there are other factors that influence relationships besides attachment. There's personality and temperament. There's even neurodiversity. So for instance... Somebody on the spectrum may not be able to show connection in the way that we would typically think of, but that does not necessarily mean it's an attachment issue. So I just want to put all that out there for us to remember and keep in mind as well as we're thinking about attachment. So as a review of secure attachment, Adam Young talks about six big needs that we get from our parents. The first is attunement. If a parent is distracted by their own emotions, pain, needs, or wants, then it may be harder for them to be attuned to their child's needs. And attunement is just that, like staying in tune with what's going on with their child, what the emotional needs are. And we remember, too, that you don't have to do this perfectly. In fact, that's impossible. We just have to be good enough at doing that. Also, were our parents responsive? Did our parents respond to us when we had needs? Did they respond to us when we had emotions? Did they offer comfort, kindness, and care? Were our parents engaged with us? Did they have the desire to get to know us, really, to get to know our heart? Were they able to regulate our arousal? And by that, I mean teach us how to emotionally regulate. So as we talked about in our Secure Attachment podcast episode, in healthy, secure attachment relationships, Our parents help us regulate as infants. Then as we grow, they help us co-regulate and begin to understand how to get our needs met. And then as adults, hopefully we're growing into emotionally resilient and responsive and regulated people. Were our parents strong enough to handle our negative emotions? Were they able to welcome emotions like sadness, anger, or fear? We talked about that a lot last week when we talked about authenticity. Did our parents communicate to us that those were bad or unacceptable? And 
Was there a willingness with our parents to be able to repair relationship if something was disruptive? If they made a mistake, were they able to come back and admit that or ask for forgiveness? The mark of a really great caregiver is not that ruptures don't occur because they always do, right? But more that they can repair afterwards and help us reattune and re-engage in the relationship. So those are all helpful things to remember when we're thinking about secure attachment and insecure attachment. And you'll remember one of the big things I'm going to keep coming back to is insecure attachment. What we need is to have a refuge that we can go to in our distress and be comforted, help ourselves get regulated, feel comfortable and safe again, so our parent is acting as that safe, secure base. And then as we're comforted, we're able to go back out and be equipped to explore, to create, to do all the things we need to do in the world, to play, to be creative, all those kinds of things. So refuge seeking and then exploration. Those are the two markers of a secure relationship. So that leads us to the first of the insecure attachment styles, which is what we're going to talk about today, and that is anxious ambivalent. For people that have anxious ambivalent attachment, they are stuck in refuge-seeking behaviors. They are not able to go out and explore. They don't feel safe enough to do that. And the way that this attachment pattern develops is if a child experiences their caregiver as inconsistent or intrusive. In other words, that parent may or may not provide soothing and comfort when that child is in distress. It really all depends on what's going on with the parent. In a secure attachment relationship, a mom is attuned to her infant's wants and needs, at least enough of the time that they're putting in place that safe, secure pattern. But in an ambivalent attachment relationship, the caregiver was sometimes attuned and responsive to the infant's needs, but sometimes they were preoccupied with their own anxiety, their own emotions, their own moods, their own issues, and they weren't emotionally available or maybe even physically available to their infant. Kurt Thompson says that these parents often seem unable to read their own children. They're not able to attune well because they themselves are so consumed with their own anxiety. This often happens, I think, with substance abuse because, you know, if a parent is sober, then they're able to be attentive. But if they're not sober, then they're not available. Or it can happen with mental health issues of some sort, like depression, major anxiety, trauma, where sometimes when we're in a good place, we're able to be attentive and attuned, but other times we're really not. The other marker that can happen in anxious ambivalent attachment is that sometimes those parents are intrusive. So let's say the child is actually in a content place. They want to be left alone. Everything seems hunky-dory and good. And then all of a sudden, mom swoops in unexpectedly and disrupts them with some kind of anxiety issue. There's this lack of sensitivity and predictability that leads to the child's elevated levels of uncertainty, of insecurity, of anxiety, because you just never know what you're going to get with mom. One way or the other, you're never quite sure. This leads a child to learn that they can't depend on their caregiver to be attuned or responsive. They never know what to expect. They develop a sense of anxiety and uncertainty about whether or not they can depend on their caregiver. So all this creates this inner franticness, as Adam Young calls it, or anxiety. A sense that people, that others, that especially their caregiver, may not be relied upon to meet their needs. And the relationship strategy that then develops is that they become hyper-focused on their caregiver, 
Mom may not be attuned to them, but they are very attuned to what's going on with their mom. In fact, they might be preoccupied in a way. So rather than the parent responding to the child's emotional needs, it maybe is the opposite. They're very in tune with what's going on. They're really good at reading a room, so to speak. Even nuances, barely changes in mood, in what's going on in the relationship, any kind of disruption. These kids pick up on it very quickly and it makes them very anxious. They actually have no problem telling their caregiver that they're distressed. They don't keep that to themselves, but they do have a really big difficulty being soothed. And that takes us to our strange situation. If you guys remember from previous episodes, Mary Ainsworth did a lot of research and she did an experiment called the strange situation. It's very, very important to attachment research. And through her work, she developed the four different patterns of attachment. So just as a recap, in case it's been a few weeks and you don't remember, what happened with the strange situation is that they took infants that were 12 to 18 months old with their primary caregiver and watched them through a series of events. So first they were left alone to play together, and then a stranger came in, and then the mom left, and the child was with the stranger, then the stranger left, and the baby was all alone, Mom came back, et cetera, et cetera. And they watched the infant through all these situations to notice what happened. So what happened in this research is that they found that securely attached infants and anxious ambivalently attached infants reacted very similarly when their mom left. They both showed high marks of distress. In fact, you really couldn't tell them apart at all until the reunification. And here's where it changes. So with a securely attached infant, what happened was when mom came back, the infant was able to be soothed, to be comforted, and pretty soon could go back to playing. In other words, they did that refuge seeking, and then they could go back out into explore mode, knowing that they were safe, that there was a secure base in place, and they could go play again. With these poor little anxious ambivalent children, that was not the case. So when mom came back, they were not soothed. In fact, they actually acted just as distressed. They were sad. They were showing mom with big emotions how upset they were. There was actually kind of a push-pull, like an anger feeling that was shown. They might push away a little bit from their mom. They might be stiff. They might kick them. They were not easily comforted. And I think that's a good way of thinking about ambivalence. It's this push-pull. I need you. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you that I need you. I'm mad at you that you're not here for me when I need you, but I still need you. Don't leave me. That push-pull back and forth. Those parents had been inconsistently available, and so the infant develops inconsistent trust. Another way of thinking about it I really like comes from Dr. Casey Call, and she says, if we're thinking about attachment from an attention standpoint, infants with secure attachment can shift their attention back and forth to the caregiver when they're in distress, then back to the world around them, to their play, to exploration mode. But with ambivalently attached kids, their attention is completely directed to their caregiver. They barely have attention for anything else. And that is because they're so anxious that that parent might leave or that the parent's not going to be attentive to them. So they've got to keep them close. So they're monitoring every move that happens with their caregiver. And this is often called actually preoccupied because they are, they're preoccupied. How can you shift your attention to exploring the world when you're always worried your person's not gonna be there for you? 
A very simple way of thinking about it is in secure attachment, the message is, I'm good, you're good, we're good. With anxious ambivalent attachment, the message is, I'm bad, you're good, I need you, and then I can be good. Another important thing to remember when it comes to anxious ambivalent attachment is that there's a lot of emotion involved. These people have not repressed their emotions. They feel big emotions. And a lot of those emotions are very distressing. So a lot of anxiety, big feelings. And in fact, they may use their emotions, their big emotions, almost in a dramatic way to express how big their needs are to the people in their lives to try to keep them closer, to try to keep their attention. So in adulthood, we actually don't call this anxious ambivalent attachment anymore. That's more in childhood. What we call it instead is preoccupied or entangled, an entangled attachment style. And when you think about entangled, it sounds a little bit like enmeshed or like codependent in a way. And in fact, I think codependency would probably very likely be related to this attachment style. So here are a few signs that you might want to pay attention to that have to do with ambivalent attachment. So if only one or two of these relate to you, I wouldn't worry too, too much about that. But if you relate to all of them, then that would be a sign you might want to pay attention to. So here are a few signs of ambivalent or entangled attachment. Having a real difficulty regulating anxiety, like that inner franticness that you feel a lot. You believe that unless you express pain dramatically, it's unlikely people are going to respond to you the way that you need. You often experience really intense emotions. You have a deep fear of rejection or abandonment, and that makes it hard to trust people, specifically your really close relationships. You're constantly seeking closeness, and that can be seen as being needy or clingy, or people might give you the message that you're too much. That you seek a lot of reassurance in relationships. Maybe you're asking questions like, do you love me? Are we good? Are you mad at me? You suffer from self-criticism, insecurity, or feel like something is wrong with you. You are very, very attuned to your relationships and any disruption that takes place, any kind of conflict, any kind of distance. It's very hard for you and you need resolution. You really seek approval and reassurance from others as validation for yourself. You take on the role of pursuer in relationship. In other words, people aren't coming to you. You're always going to get people. You may feel like you're the one that's always calling and people aren't calling you back or that you're the one that's inviting people and people aren't inviting you back. If you notice a lot of those symptoms in yourself, then maybe here are a few starting steps to consider. Know that your needs are now and always have been valid. And even if your parent did the best that they knew how, I'm sorry that your needs were not always met know that you are not too much. Learn how to recognize safe people in your life. Who are those people who are good at attuning to you, who are good at listening, who are good at being with you, even when you've got distressing emotions? Who are the people who care for you? I encourage you to talk to a therapist who can further walk you down your story, help you make sense of it. One of the clear markers of secure attachment in adulthood is being able to make sense of our own story. It's really a big, big deal. And if you meet with a therapist, they may be able to help you heal some of those attachment wounds. Learn some tools for handling anxiety and for how to help yourself with regulation when you get really distressed. 
particularly when you notice that you're triggered in relationships when it comes to fear of abandonment or rejection. Learn how to give yourself some self-compassion. I think it's really huge to be able to recognize your own needs and give yourself some self-compassion. If you feel like you're constantly seeking reassurance in your relationships or not allowing enough space for your partner because you need constant reassurance, like you're constantly texting them or checking in or asking them questions like, are you mad at me and do you love me? Then I really encourage you to learn how to meet some of your own needs or seek out other relationships in your life that can take some of the brunt of that as well. Because it's really not fair and it gets really hard to put all of that on one relationship. And for further help and encouragement along those lines, wait, because in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about a fifth attachment pattern called earned secure attachment. I think that's the most hopeful one of all. And I think that that one is going to be helpful for you too. Regarding parenting, if you notice that maybe you are parenting out of this style, Regardless of what your current circumstances are, either because we picked that up from our parents or because we have stuff going on in our lives right now that's causing a lot of internal turmoil and it's hard for us to be attuned to our kids. Hold on, because in a few weeks, I'm going to be having a couple of guests on who are going to have some fabulous encouragement for parents and how we can parent our kids well and develop those real secure attachment patterns. And remember that as we do our own work, As we learn our own story, as we're doing the work of learning how to regulate our own anxiety, then that ends up trickling down to our kids as well. So be encouraged about that too. Okay, friends, I told you at the end of every episode, we would do a scripture passage and we are going to jump into another Psalm today. Psalm 131. It is one of my favorites. It's short, but good. I actually did, I think, a whole episode on it last year talking about the four S's, safe, secure, seen, soothed, but it's a good one to talk about secure attachment patterns. So as I read through this Psalm, I want you to listen for those attachment patterns, particularly the secure ones, and notice what stands out to you. Today I'm reading out of the NIV version. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Okay, so your first thought is probably, what in the world are we talking about a weaned child for? But let's talk about that. If you've ever breastfed, or been around an infant who is, when they're with their mom, they really want to be fed. They can smell that milk from a mile away. But after they're weaned and they sit with their mom, what do they want? They want closeness. They want comfort. That's what they're needing. So what David says is when he's in distress, when things feel too big, too overwhelming for him to wrap his mind around, he wants to climb up in God's lap like a little kid who just wants his mom. What a beautiful picture and what a great invitation for us to remember that we're welcome to do that. In our big moments of distress, there is somebody who is a secure base that we can always go to. And I pray friends, that if you don't already feel that way about your heavenly father, that one day soon you will. Next week, we'll continue our conversation by talking about the last two insecure attachment styles, anxious avoidant, and disorganized. 
I hope you'll meet me back here next week for that conversation. Well, that's all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.